uh, how many of you know what Jesus' occupation was? What did Jesus do kind of growing up? Shout it out. He was a carpenter. But then here's my question. How does a carpenter, how does a carpenter save the world? <laughs> I mean, Vince is not here today, uh, but many of you know Vince. He does a lot of stuff around here, man. He, he hangs doors, he waxes floors, he fixes things. He has mad carpentry skills, but he's not saving the world with his carpentry skills. Well, of course, we know Jesus didn't do it with a hammer. He did it with his blood. And we know that he gave his life for us all, and that's really how he saved us. It wasn't about his job, but... I did think about this. If you were to read the Old Testament, start in the Old Testament. Let's say you never read the Bible before and you, you start in the Old Testament, which, by the way, I don't recommend that you do, okay, just to give you that. Uh, if you're thinking about reading the Bible for the first time, um, you'll get through Genesis, you'll be interested, you'll get to Leviticus, and you'll be like, what is going on? There's a lot of rules. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, you'll, you'll read through. If you read through the Old Testament you'll figure out that there is some predictions, some prophecies, about 300 of them, of this person, this Messiah, that's supposed to save them, save God's people. And when you read through the Old Testament, what you'll start to realize and think about is, when this Messiah comes, this Savior of the world comes, if he has a job, I know what it's going to be. And you wouldn't think carpenter. You'd think, shepherd. You'd think he's going to be a shepherd. And here's why you would come to that conclusion. I want to kind of just guide you through real quickly why any person who reads the Old Testament and thinks about the Messiah would think he's going to be a shepherd. We start in Genesis 48-15. I'll just flash these verses up here. Um, I'll go too quick unless you're really fast at finding verses in your Bible. Um, I'll, I'll be going pretty fast here. But verse 15, Jacob blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The patriarchs saw God as a shepherd. Then we go to when God had to choose a king, when they called for a king and God chose David. David. And what was David? Was he a strong, mighty, firstborn in his family kind of guy? No, he was a little shepherd boy. They had to go get him out in the pasture and said, come on in here. Samuel is going to anoint you king. A little shepherd boy. And he wrote in Psalm 23, as we'll see today, the Lord is my shepherd. Then Asaph, the psalmist, wrote in Psalm 80, verse 1, give ear O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. The patriarchs, the king, the psalmist, they saw God as a shepherd. And so did the prophets. Prophet Ezekiel said in chapter 34, by the way, if you want to look at chapter 34, I think all pastors should look at chapter 34 because it's a great warning uh, for all pastors, those who are, are church leaders. But anyway, uh, verse 23, it says, I will set up over them one shepherd. He says, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. What's interesting about that is, is if you understand the timeline, is that's 400 years after David died. 
So he's talking about the coming Messiah, would come from the line of David and would be a shepherd. Then in Micah, Micah the prophet, verse 2 of chapter 5, he says, But you, O Bethlehem, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah, but from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Now that's quoted in the New Testament, but if we read verse 4 of Micah, we see the blending of these two verses from Matthew in a second. But in verse 4 of Micah, chapter 5, he says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Jesus was born 500 years after that prophecy. When Jesus was born, it was the time of uh, when everyone kind of knew something was going on. And the king of the time, Herod, was not a believer, but he called in all of the Jewish chief priests and scribes, and he said, what's going on? Tell me you know, the details. And what did they do? They quoted Micah. They said, as Matthew um, reads it here in Matthew 2.6, he says, oh, you Bethlehem. Where, did, where was the Messiah born? Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. And the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, from you shall come a ruler, and then he says, who will shepherd my people Israel. So we should expect a shepherd. That's why in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said to the people, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, you may have read that many times before, but I don't know if you've really fully understood what John 10, 11 is saying. What Jesus is saying when he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. In order for you to understand that, I want to go through John 10, but mainly in the light of Psalm 23. Because David was a shepherd. And he would get it, wouldn't he? He would understand what it means to be a shepherd. And David wrote Psalm 23, but then there was a man named Philip Keller, W. Philip Keller, who wrote a book in 1970 that sold over a million copies. It's a simple read, a simple book, and that book is on Psalm 23. He was also a shepherd, and it's a wonderful, all of his experiences, I want to share with you some of them to help you understand what it means when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. By the way, I have an extra copy. I ordered this book a few weeks back, and I was reading through it. And I uh, didn't even know that um, my wife already had a copy of it. Uh, it, was, it was hidden in the stack of books, but I have an extra copy. All you have to do is come forward. Sometimes it's as easy as that to become a Christian. You just have to come forward. If you want a free book, the book that I'm going to be preaching on the next two weeks, first come, first serve, you just have to come forward, and you can have this book. Who will come forward? Ah, there you are, Nathan. You're welcome. So Jesus is your good shepherd, and what makes a shepherd good? He lays down his life for his sheep. Mostly, though, I want you to see not only what Jesus did for you, but how you should respond to that. I would encourage you, as I preach this message and next Sunday, I would encourage you to read John 10, just one chapter in the Gospel of John, because that's what we're doing this whole year. We're going through the harmony of the Gospel. And then also read Psalm 23. If you want to do more than that, you could use your favorite search engine, type in verses with shepherd, 
Verses with Shepherd, and you will see all kinds of the verses, all the verses in the Bible that talk about the shepherd and the sheep. And you can read about those and see kind of what I did there just a little bit ago. I only shared with you some of those. And then you could also order the book and read through and understand much better what it means when Jesus said, I lay down my life for a sheep. Let's pray. Father, today we need to hear your word. Today, your people don't need to hear Matt Trombley talking. They need to hear you. They need to to experience your Holy Spirit speaking truth and bringing comfort and guiding us as we walk with you. Father, we know this world is tough, difficult, full 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 of lots of problems and circumstances and troubles and And that's why we need you. We need you to guide us. We need you to lead us down those righteous paths for your name's sake. I pray this in your name. Amen. So the Good Shepherd, part one. We'll start in Psalm Psalm 23, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. Now who can actually say those words and truly mean it? Who can say the Lord is my shepherd? The answer is, only those that bear the mark. You have to bear the mark to say, the Lord is my shepherd and truly mean it. And I'm not saying you have to get a tattoo. Philip Keller bought his first 30 sheep. When he first became a shepherd, he bought 30 sheep, and he put them in a pasture, and he began his shepherding with this first task. He had to take a knife. And he had to make a mark in their ear. That's what shepherds do. They mark the sheep so they know which sheep are theirs. And 30 sheep bore his mark, belonged to him. What did Jesus say in John 10, verse 1? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Verse 7, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. For the sheep. And verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. To help you understand what Jesus is saying here, you have to know a little bit about shepherding. When you take your sheep out into the pasture, into the highlands, if you will, during the summer months, you have to get away from your home and you have to travel because if you stay, it's too hot. You have to go where there's greener pastures and cooler waters, and so on. Well, shepherds would build, what we have a picture of here, a pen for the nighttime. And in that pen would go the sheep at night so the shepherd could protect them. Where's the door? There isn't one. When you look at that picture, you see there is no door because the shepherd would sleep in the doorway. He is the door. Only his sheep come in, and only his sheep he leads out. So now you understand what it means when Jesus said, I am the door. Literally, he was the door, and he would guide them in and out. Jesus would speak at the end of his ministry about the end times. In chapter 25, verses 31 and 32, He says, when the Son of Man will come in his glory, talking about his second coming, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, 
And he will separate one from another people as a shepherd separates sheep and goats. Now, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know the difference between a sheep and a goat. I assume they look a lot different. And there are some telltale signs that would differentiate them. Now, some of you who've grown up around farms, you're smiling at me right now because you see that I'm a city boy and I don't know much. But I think there's a lot of city folks in here that don't know much. So here's what I'm going to tell you. All right, sheep and goats, if there's no horns and their hair or fur wool is the same length, you probably won't tell the difference. It's pretty hard, unless you know some specific things about them. So my point I'm making here is, and what Jesus was saying is, sheep and goats can sometimes look a lot alike. Even though you wouldn't think it, but they do. They look a lot alike. And he's saying here is that the world today is full of sheep and goats. The churches today are full of sheep and goats. And only Jesus really knows the difference. And the way he knows the difference is he looks for the mark. you got to have the mark. And what is that mark? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 3, 5 to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Are you born again? If you are born again, then you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the mark. The mark is the Holy Spirit being born again. We keep going in Psalm 23. The second part of the verse says, I shall not want, or I shall not be in want. Philip Keller grew up watching shepherds. This wasn't his first time ever. He didn't just uh, wake up in his 40s or 50s and have a midlife crisis and say, I'm just going to be a shepherd now. Some people have wild fantasies in their midlife crisis. Philip Keller grew up watching shepherds, and he witnessed bad shepherds, and he witnessed good shepherds. What he knew about bad shepherding was the look in the sheep's eye, in their eyes. They were in want. They wanted better pastures. They wanted a better shepherd. He saw that they were sickly and their pastures were brown and barren, and they were in need of a good shepherd. You can relate. Probably you can relate. If you ever had a bad teacher, or a bad coach, or a bad boss. Main reason people leave their jobs is because of bad leadership. Because bad leadership leads to toxic cultures. A healthy culture, I think, is a result of healthy leadership. And if you have a bad leader, you're going to have a bad experience. Keller, though, was a good shepherd. His sheep didn't want or need anything because he was willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And that requires a lot of work on the part of a shepherd, but he was willing to do it. But as many leaders know, if you're a leader you know what I'm talking about when I say this next statement. You'll never make everyone happy. If you, if, if you are a leader and you think you make everyone happy, think again. You'll never make everyone happy. Shepherds often would experience what Keller called fence crawlers. Fence crawlers. Those were sheep 
that would crawl along the fence looking for a weak spot, and as soon as they found that weak spot, they would crawl under and escape. Kind of like my dog, I told you that story. Fence crawlers. And the problem is that these fence crawlers would set bad examples. They would teach others to do the same. And the only way to stop this behavior, if it continued time and time again, is the shepherd would have to end the life of the sheep. And I know that sounds horrible, but it was for salvation purposes. Jesus gave this warning to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he even prunes it. So it will bear more fruit. Are you being a fence crawler these days? Why? What is it that the good shepherd can't give you? I've told you before that all this world has to offer will lead you singing that song. I can't get no satisfaction. You can try and you can try and you can try, but this world will leave you unsatisfied. All you need to do is do what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything that you truly need will be added to you. When you seek the good shepherd with all your heart, you shall not want. Amen? Let's go on to verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep have a hard time lying down and resting. They are restless. I like that word, restless. How many of you are feeling restless these days? Yes. Um, We are so much like sheep, whether you want to admit it or not. uh, We often, I mean, there's a reason why throughout the Bible we are referred to as sheep. And I won't remind you that sheep are very dumb animals. Oops, I did, sorry. Keller says three things will not allow sheep to lie down and rest. Three things, predators, rivals, and bugs. Once a friend visited him while he was out in the pasture. He had his sheep lying down. They were resting. All was good. He was enjoying the day. A visitor pulled up kind of unannounced in his car. He got out, not alone. Along with him was his little yipper dog. I call them yipper dogs because when they bark, they sound like yip, 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 yip. How many of you have a yipper dog, just so I know who I might offend? No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to offend. But the dog got out and started yipping, and 200 sheep got up and stampeded as far away from that little crazy dog that would have, I'm sure, done no harm. But they couldn't rest. They got up and they ran. Dogs were no longer um, allowed uh, welcome after that. Sheep can also not lie down if there is a rival sheep nearby. A sheep can be laying down, calm, resting, no big deal, and another sheep will come up to it and bite it, annoy it, sometimes even ram it. And you think, why would it do that? Because sheep like to display their dominance. Some sheep are bossy sheep. I told you, sheep are like people, are they not? 
Yes. Perhaps you know someone that comes near you and bothers you. Even the mentioning of their name raises your anxiety levels. (laughs) You can't rest when they are near. Then there are bugs, literally the flies that would irritate the sheep in the summer. Um, I would equate that to the things that you have going on in your head that you have to do after church today. The things that you put in the back of your mind, but as soon as you walk out the front door, they're going to be right there again. Okay, I got to do this, I got to do this. Shut the front door, as they say. All right? Stay with me. Don't let those things bug you. But do you know the solution to all three of these things that bother a sheep and that bother you? It's one simple solution. The presence of the shepherd. When the shepherd would go out into the pasture at night, when predators were lurking about, the shepherd would go out and he would speak to his sheep in a calm, gentle way. John 10, verse 4 and 5. When he has brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they do not follow. They run from a stranger. But then they hear his voice. They can lie down and rest. When another sheep is being a bully, it's the presence of the shepherd that stops the behavior. I learned as a high school teacher for 16 years, that when I stood next to someone's desk, their behavior changed. They could have been annoying the person next to them, touching them, throwing things at them, bothering them when I'm up here on the board doing my math problems, and then I would recognize the behavior and I would go stand next to them and teach my lesson from their desk. And boy, they'd sit up straight. Their hands would keep to themselves. It still works in church. I'll come do it today. I'll preach from your chair, and you'll know why. When the flies are bugging, the shepherd would anoint their head with oil. That's coming next week. We'll have to wait on that one. But how true is it for Christians today? Threats come your way. Christians don't always act like Christians. Things are bugging you. And what is the solution? Draw close to God. Come into his presence. That's where you'll find rest. That's how you can lie down and be nourished. The verse says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures. When Philip Keller bought his first pasture, it was a mess. There were rocks and roots and weeds and clay, hard sun-dried clay, stumps. And the the, the pasture was brown and barren, and it was not fit for sheep. But it was through his hard work that he was able to remove those things and cultivate it so that it would grow green pastures. And oh, how our Lord does that same work on your heart. Doesn't he remove your heart of stone, the weeds of sin in your life, the roots of bitterness, the stumps of anger? 
how he plows through your hard heart and sows seeds of truth that we find in the Holy Scriptures, and then you will have green pastures. The Word of God is the green pastures that we all need, that God will take us to. The Word of God never stops transforming you to be more like Him. And it leads, He leads me beside still waters. The second part of verse 2, He leads me beside still waters. The body of mammals is made up mostly of water. Your cells need water. That's why they tell you to drink how many glasses a day? See, you always, you, you, you listen, you know. We need water. If you have a sickness, you got a flu, you got a cold, you flush it out, don't you? With lots and lots and lots of water. But not just any water. You need still waters here. Still waters is actually better translated waters of rest. That when you take a drink of water, it satisfies you so that you can rest. I was reminded of the church in Laodicea. Revelation 3.16. God talking to the churches. And he says to this church, because you are lukewarm, not hot, not cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How many of you have taken a drink of lukewarm water and were like, that doesn't satisfy me at all. That's why we got that machine in the back. It gives you cold water, refreshing cold water. I enjoy taking our dog for long walks, and when we get out there after a mile or two, she gets thirsty, and she always wants to drink from the dirtiest puddle which is disgusting. So I yank her away. I don't want her to drink from that water. I tell her, I am your good shepherd, Millie. When we get home, I have clean, cool water for you. Why do you insist on drinking from that disgusting puddle? I don't understand it. But that is what our good shepherd is asking you today. Are you drinking from dirty puddles? Why? The good shepherd will lead you beside still waters. And lastly, verse 3, he restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We'll start with that second part there. Sheep, I don't know if you know this or not, but they will follow the same path over and over and over again until the point at which the path becomes a rut. And they will get stuck in the ruts unless the shepherd leads them on a different path. Are you in a rut today? Do you look at your life and you realize, yeah, I'm in a rut. I've been following the same path. It's a, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's the same argument over and over and over again. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship or a fixed mindset that says nothing's ever going to change. Lots of ruts that we can get into Circumstances in life that help us make us feel trapped or alone or stuck. That's why you need the good shepherd. The good shepherd will take you out of the rut. He will lead you on a path of righteousness. But get this. He doesn't just do it for you. He does it for his name's sake. Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
The word hallowed means to make holy. Hallowed be thy name. Make God's name holy. That's what this psalmist is saying. There's no other name like God's name. He's the great I am. He's the Jehovah. He's the Yahweh. He's the El Shaddai, the Adonai, the Elohim. We have countless names for God, all expressing his character and who he is. That is our God, and he will do anything and everything for his name's sake. He will lay down his life for you. And lastly, he will restore your soul. Maybe you need your soul restored today. Keller explains that a shepherd, a shepherd will sometimes need to find a cast sheep. We sang the song Reckless Love, which expresses this very thing. A cast sheep is a sheep that wanders off looking for a cool place to lie down. It finds one, a nice soft spot. When it lies down, it kind of rolls over. You know how it is. You lie down, you kind of get comfortable, you move around, you roll around. It rolls over, and then if it's too, if it rolls over too far and it's too heavy, it will basically end up on its back, and then it's, it's over. It, it's helpless. It can't roll back over. Because gases in the stomach start to build up, and it cuts off the circulation to the legs. And it's done for. Cash sheep cannot survive on their own. That's why the shepherd has to go find it and every second matters. If it's a hot sunny day, a cast sheep could be dead in a few hours. It has to go find it. Two main causes for cast sheep. Too much weight or too much wool. Too much weight. A fat sheep finds that soft spot, rolls over, it's over. Too much wool, what happens is mud gets caked in it, all kinds of debris and everything, which weighs it down, and the same thing happens. Such a fitting analogy for Christians today. Because some Christians will buy into this lie that God only wants you to be healthy and wealthy and comfortable. And there are some Christians today that are at home watching their favorite feel-good preacher, or they're in their uh, churches that only preach the feel-good sermons and they don't preach through the Bible and through all the stuff that's in the Bible, all the, the sin and all of the whole gospel. And that's their comfort. That's their soft, that's their cushy little spot. That's not what Jesus called us to. Luke 9.23 tells us that's not what he called us to. There are then Christians who oftentimes get mud in their white wool. Mud is the sin that so easily entangled them before they became a Christian is now pulling them back into that old life. Perhaps you could relate. Sometimes that old sin likes to pull you back and you fall down and, of course, you can't get up, as the old commercial used to say. So whenever Keller thinks of this verse 3, he restores my soul, he thinks of the times that he would go searching for that sheep that was lost, that was missing, he would leave all of his sheep in the flock and go find just one 
Hours and hours of searching. If he saw it, he would run to it. Because every second mattered. And when he would get to it, he would roll it on its side to help relieve the pressure. Okay, you know what it's like after you ate Thanksgiving. Kind of lay on your side there. He would lift it up, rub its legs, get the circulation back in there, see if it could walk on its own. If not, he would do it over again. And if he couldn't, if the sheep just couldn't do it, he would carry it back to the flock. And that's exactly what God does for you. He restores your soul. When you just don't feel like you have any more hope, God can rescue you. He can restore your soul. If you're here today, and that's a thought in your mind, I just, I'm stuck, I'm, I'm in trouble, I don't like the way things are going in my life, the good shepherd can restore your soul. He leaves the 99 to rescue you. You are not alone. You are not alone. I ask our team to play this final song for us. As you engage in worship, let this be a time of prayer. Let it be a time where you respond to God in worship. Talk to him. If there's something in your life, you know what it is. Maybe you've asked someone to pray for you about it. Maybe you haven't mentioned a thing yet. Maybe it's one of those things that deep down, it's so hidden from everybody else, nobody knows about it but you and God. Confession is honestly letting, it's not letting, you're not, you're not making God aware of something he doesn't know. Confession is, agreeing that God needs to bring this healing into your life. And God is faithful and just, and he will forgive you. He will restore your life.